All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Holritz, and uh, this happens to be a photography podcast. We're talking about photography, running a photography business, and hopefully how to have a bit of a life in between all of it. And uh, I'm actually joined by a brand new guest today, Victoria Rayburn. Thank you, Victoria, for hanging out with me for a bit. Oh, Nathan, thank you so much for having me. Like I told you, I'm an avid listener, so I am super psyched to be here. Well, and we're going to dig into a, a pretty interesting topic. I, I want to say a geeky topic, and I don't mean that like in a, in a bad way. <laughs> you um, can say it. I get it. <laughs> but it is kind of like a geeky, nerdy topic in that it's it's highly technical and really not something that you hear a whole lot of discussion about. Um, it, I'm, I'm calling this a vital component of strong search rankings, but really what specifically we're going to be getting into in just a little bit is long tail keywords with regards to SEO, Google SEO. And uh, so, and honestly, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I'm going to let you just like take the floor and run with it. But um, we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. I have to mention that this podcast is being brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom editing for professional photographers. It's also being brought to you by Milu, which is actually the easiest way to manage the plan and manage your timelines and shot lists for the events that you're photographing. So, uh, go to milu.com, M-I-I-L-U.com, and of course, photographersedit.com to learn more about each of those brands. But let me jump into our first question, Victoria, one of my favorite, actually. And you and I were actually talking before I hit the record button. Um, we're beginning to actually do dedicated episodes around this very topic, brand position. Was this a phrase that you were familiar with before you even started listening to the Boca podcast? Oh, yes. Yeah. When your background is in marketing and Donald Miller, you know, starts with story brand. Yes. Uh, yeah. You spend a lot of time listening to good old Donald Miller. Um, but yeah, I was really excited when I discovered your podcast because it wasn't too it wasn't too long after story brand or building a story brand came out. And it was just really nice to see like a photographer was like, hey, like this is going to work. I mean, this is going to work for our industry. Mm. So I really like appreciated the clarity that you brought to it. Well, I, I have to admit um, that I'm a little obsessive about the topic, largely because th <laughs> there isn't a lot of conversation about it in the industry, but you're totally right. Donald Miller and his book, Building a Story Brand, one of my favorite business books, period, for multiple reasons. But mm -hmm. he does get into this topic, and and it's I'm glad that, that the industry is becoming more aware of it. And I think, honestly, it, it's certainly not an end-all, be-all, but brand position plays a really important part in enabling us to market more effectively and so to that point, I'm curious, yeah. what is your brand position? You're, you're based, whereabouts in Indiana? So I'm in Lafayette, Indiana, which is like where Purdue is, which I mean, other than that, people have no idea where Lafayette, Indiana is. <laughs> okay. So for, for maybe a more common point of reference, whereabouts is that in relation to Indianapolis? So we're about an hour north of Indy. Hour north. Okay. I'm actually originally yes. from Kokomo, which is probably oh, not, really? yeah, not too far away from you. Um, no, not at all. I shoot weddings in Kokomo on the regular. Yep. Do you really? That's wild. You know, it's a very small town and really, honestly, not too much to speak of, as you probably know, but our, our maybe one claim to fame is that the the author of Clifford the Big Red Dog is from Kokomo. Oh, um, I didn't even know that. Man. <laughs> so there's your trivia for the day. <laughs> but let's talk about brand position in your market. Um, what is your brand position? Or for those of you listening and not familiar with the concept of a brand position, very simply, it's the unique value proposition that your photography brings or photography business brings to the market. What is that for you, Victoria? 
Yeah. So this is kind of a, a little bit of a long winded answer, but I'll keep it as brief as I can. Okay. Um, <laughs> so like my true brand position is to give couples wedding photos that will help them remember their vows and why they chose their spouse. And that really ties into my why. After speaking with my ideal clients, they all agreed that when they're planning their weddings, that idea doesn't resonate with them quite yet because they don't understand what marriage is going to be like or how uh. like their wedding photos are going to be like useful in the long run, if that makes sense. So because Donald Miller does say you need to have your unique brand proposition at the top of your website, I had to change mine up a little bit (laughs) to speak to my ideal clients um, where they are mentally when they're booking their wedding photographer. So the top of my website reads wedding photos for joy-filled couples who can't wait to be married. So marriage is something that I'm very passionate about. And to be honest, I'm a wedding photographer because I love being married to my husband, not because I necessarily like love pretty details and things like that. Sure. But I believe that wedding photos can serve as a beautiful reminder of the importance of fighting for marriage. So like, just to give you a little more insight into my why, but like I come from a family with a lot of divorce. And when Mm. my husband and I got married, like we promised one another that we were going to do like whatever we have to do to have a healthy marriage and divorce wasn't going to be in our future. Um, However, we got married and realized that there are days and seasons where marriage is really freaking hard. Um, (laughs) But like, I love being married and um, yeah, Zach is my best friend other than my faith. Like my relationship with my husband is what I treasure most, but for almost five years of being married, I can honestly say that our wedding photos are a great reminder to me of why I chose my husband, the vows we made to one another, how far we come and just how thankful I am to do life with Zach. And as a result, like I really strive to give my couples photos that are going to serve them in that same way. So again, I want to give my couples photos that help them remember their vows, but they're just not quite there mentally yet. So I've had to put a little bit of a spin on my brand position, but it's nice to see like in the long run after we had that, re- after I form relationships with couples, after we're able to sit down, like they understand where I'm coming from. But yeah, you just can't really like put that, at least I can't put that at the top of my website. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Don't I, I, like, I, I kind of want to push back on this because I, like I think about... Yeah. I think about like your, your tagline here. It says for joy-filled couples who can't wait to be married. I would hope at least that most of your couples are looking forward to getting married. And, yeah. and you know, a, a tagline or a brand position statement in some ways acts as for everybody listening in um, acts as a filter for a potential client. Ideally, you know mm-hmm. who it is that you're trying to reach out to. And so that messaging helps filter out irrelevant potential clients. I, I can, and it's just kind of funny to yeah. think about. And I understand why you've kind of switched the messaging because maybe it would be off putting or they wouldn't quite get it initially. But, you know, something, something like a photographer, I, I'm here to help you remember why you got married in the first place. Yeah. It just sounds kind of humorous in my mind as I'm thinking about it. Like if they literally landed on your homepage and that's what it said, they'd be like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I've tried both. It's been like a lot of fun to test it. And yeah. like, I don't want to say like have full fledged focus groups, but you know, I have like five of my like brides that I just, uh, I just adore. So when I change things, I run it past them. And so when I like gave the vow idea, they were like, Oh, that sounds really negative. Like I would not have taken it that way. (laughs) Okay. So we've tried both and this is what's working right now. So (laughs) that's cool. You know, it's funny you talk about the, the focus groups. Um, I wonder, it'd be really interesting to, I, I mean, I'm almost preaching to myself at this point, be interesting because we've been kind of experimenting with with a, a change or a shift in our brand position um, at Photographers Edit, and it would yeah. be really interesting to actually do some split testing with Facebook ads, mm-hmm. where you you use the the position statement or brand message, and um, say three or four ads consistently with this one particular message, and then run a whole separate set 
with the other message and see which yeah. gets better response. It'd be kind of interesting to be able to do. It's cool that we have tools like that to do split testing now. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's much better than just like hmm, testing one and then trying the other and we'll just eh, hope or, or just guessing. <laughs> yeah. Whatever a gut feeling is. Um, yeah. I, I've learned kind of the hard way over the years that, I mean, while, while I will argue that intuition plays a significant role in not only our personal lives, but running a business many times, you know, because our, we, and I think we probably all know this at this point, our feelings tend to kind of function as a roller coaster. Like they're up at times and down at times and it's kind of unpredictable. And so basing decisions on quote gut feeling isn't necessarily the most reliable way to go. Yeah. It, it's nice to have data and we're lucky enough to be doing business in 2020 where whether it's Google analytics or Facebook ads or or otherwise, that we have mm-hmm. tools that enable us to base our decisions on actual data and move our business forward that way. So anyway, I'm kind of getting on a tangent, but it's a really important <laughs> point of conversation. And I appreciate you sharing uh, your brand position with us. But talk to me about what you've learned as a business so far. And just to kind of give context to our listeners, how long have you been in business for yourself? So I've been in business for myself since 2015. Um, and before that, like, so I've been in the marketing industry since 2012, but I used to second shoot for somebody else, but okay. I became like an LLC in 2015. Cool. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. I had to think back about that for a second. No, yeah. it's, it's good. So we're talking between <laughs> four and five years, uh, yeah. which is a, it's a good chunk of time. What would you say has been the biggest lesson that you've learned so far? Maybe the most important lesson to you, something that you would want to share with a fellow photographer or entrepreneur, if you had the chance. Yeah, no, I love that you asked this question. Um, for me, the answer definitely has to be like, don't let your work come before your relationships. Mm. So like I started, you know, photography as a side hustle and I started not long after we got married. And yeah, I was really excited to start my business. And because I was so excited about it, I just wanted to spend, you know, all my time yeah. shooting and editing and learning and developing content and working on a website. And as a result, my husband got pretty daggone frustrated with me. And at the time I thought like, Hey, like, you know, maybe I thought my gut was to say like, Oh, he's being selfish. He doesn't like want me to achieve these goals and dreams. Mm. But like looking back at it, I realized like he had every right to be kind of upset with me because I wasn't prioritizing him. Mm. Um, so yeah, don't let your work become come before your relationships. I mean, I love being a photographer, but at the end of the day, like I would much rather have a healthy marriage. Yeah. Wow. What a loaded topic too. And I could speak a lot from experience here. It's, and I honestly, I've been, in fact, I even had this conversation, I was having this conversation with my kids, I guess maybe it was yesterday. We were out, we, we kind of had a, a, a date, if you will, uh, the three yeah. of us, myself, I, I took them out to lunch and then we went um, shopping for shoes, actually kind of fun. But we were talking about, I, I was talking to them about the the struggle that I've, I've had trying to figure out a balance between, you know, putting especially as a single dad, putting a time into work and then balancing that with making sure I'm giving them time. And of course, creating a little bit of space for myself and, and other relationships in my life. It's, it's hard to try to figure out the, the best balance. And I know it's going to look differently for different people. Uh, a lot of it centers around a, a healthy existence, I guess, as a business owner and managing the relationship centers around expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something that you did with your husband? What's your husband's name? Zach. Zach. So with, with Zach, was there something that you did to maybe a bit more proactively manage expectations in addition to putting a little bit more priority on the relationship? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one thing that definitely helped was like making photography my full-time job and stuff, you know, working two jobs. So that definitely freed up some time. But like, as we look at our schedule, we definitely have some things 
in there that I refer to as non-negotiables. And so like, we know at this point, like every Thursday night, we're going to have a date night. Um, I won't, I always make sure that I have at least one weekend off every month. Yeah. So, you know, if there are four weeks and that means in that month, and that means I'm only shooting a maximum of three weddings. So just having that scheduled time in certainly helps. Yeah. And, and the fact that I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, based on what you're describing to me that you had a conversation about this, you, you've established these so-called non-negotiables mm-hmm. that takes communication that's ultimately enabling you to kind of proactively manage expectations. So now he knows you're putting time into the business, but mm-hmm. you also are planning time for him. And I think that's a, a wonderful balance. So I, I appreciate you sharing that, that perspective. I and mean, it really, at the end of the day, relationships are where it's at. And, and so much of the photographer's edit brand actually centers around that idea. We're, we're yeah. freeing time up for photographers. They're, they're giving up the editing, this busy work of editing, and it ultimately gives them time to do a lot of things. But hopefully a lot of that time is dedicated toward relationships because you know our lives are going to go this way and that. We may not always be photographers. Hopefully at the end of the day, we have relationships. And if we're not prioritizing mm-hmm. those relationships, we're missing out for sure. So that's a yeah. really great reminder. So transitioning to a different question then, um, and, and really, I guess it's a great segue, what we were talking about, the significance of time and relationships. Finding free time can be a bit difficult, especially if you've got a full-time gig as a photographer. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular workflow tip or technique that you've utilized to create that space for yourself and for your husband and for the other important people in your life? Yeah. So I feel like creating time is something that I struggle with. So I just kind of have to force myself to do it. But probably about four years ago now, I decided like, I'm going to start outsourcing one thing per year. Like as your business grows, you can just afford to outsource more. Yeah. So I go into every year like, okay, like this is the thing that like I'm ready to give up. Like it's systematized enough. I can pass it off to somebody else. So at this point within my business, like I outsource most of my editing. So like I edit for the blog post and then I have an editor who she finishes everything else up, which is great. I also don't design my albums anymore. I love that Kissbooks has that option. You just give them the photos and they yes. do it for you. Yeah. Yep. So big shout out to Kissbooks. I love them. Big shout out. Yep. <laughs> yes. And then I think too, just like as creative people, we so often think like, well, I can do this thing, but like we shouldn't always do that thing. Like I have enough like website design knowledge that I can get myself in trouble basically, but that does not mean that I should design my own website, which I mean, I did my, I did my first one. However, like if you, I mean, in my situation, like I could afford to outsource it to somebody else, a web designer who's going to make it look nicer than I could. So it just made a lot of sense for me to outsource to a designer. Now, I mean, I think definitely like your every photographer's first website, you know, you're going to go off of a template or you're going to design something yourself. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like you can be so strategic and show it has amazing template options. Just like, I kind of have two sides of my business, you know, the photography side and then the education for photographers side. And as a result, like the templates just weren't going to work for that. So sure. I needed to work with somebody else. And so my options were, I either mutter through it and try to design my own site or I have an actual designer do it. And I'm so glad that so glad she did it and I didn't because it would not look nearly as great if I had done it. <laughs> well, and I can only imagine too the amount of time that it would take to do something, to do that yourself. Oh yeah. Like absolutely. you said, you know enough to like to be dangerous or to, to get something yeah. done, but the amount of time that you would spend figuring it out would be pretty significant. Your time yes. and we have we, we this is we, we can't talk about this enough. Your time is worth so much. Exactly. Uh, number one. Number two, you would spend way more time doing something that would ultimately probably not be quite as effective as having a designer who understands the significance of user experience or user interface and 
putting the right calls to action in the right place, the user flow, if you will, through the website. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many different elements to creating a great website. It's not just about putting some pretty pictures up there and exactly. some scripty font or whatever the case. You have to actually have a purpose and a design that supports that purpose. And so it's really important to to have somebody who is a professional who's knowledgeable in that particular area that you can delegate that to. Now, you mentioned two things when it comes to this idea of outsourcing that I think are interesting. One, you spoke about the significance of being able to afford to outsource. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is a, we could spend a whole podcast episode or multiple episodes talking about this, but I'm curious how you made the decision um, when that transition point was to go from, okay, I'm, I'm kind of quote, just getting started and I'm, you know, I'm trying to build up business right now to when you got to a point where you felt like you could afford to, what was that turning point? And there is such a fine line between like, you know, if you outsource more, you can make more money because you have more time. Like, yeah. Again, there's such a fine line. And I mean, there's not exactly an exact system to it. So, but like I said, so I had just make a goal to outsource one more thing per year. And so then that way at the end of the year before I can look at my cost of doing business and kind of see how I can manage to budget for that. So like last year, for instance, was the first year that I had outsourced a big chunk of my editing, but like for weddings, for instance, I had passed off. So my editor was doing my receptions, ceremonies, family portraits, and then I was still doing a bride and groom portraits and details and we were basically splitting it in half. And this next year, she's going to get everything. So in order to figure out like, hey, I'm ready to outsource all of it, like I had to look at my cost of doing business and see like, okay, what's feasible? What do I need to raise my prices to in order to include that? Um, because again, like your time is so valuable. So I would just kind of have to figure out what your prices need to be in order and how many weddings or sessions or whatever you need to book in order to pay for outsourcing that. Now, again, like there, there are a lot of people out there who will say like, well, I'll just start outsourcing this. And then, I mean, I'll have time to make more money. And yeah, you know, you're not wrong, but I am just, I don't know. I'm a very detail oriented person. So I want the numbers to prove like, Hey, this is going to work. And I I know exactly like how much more I need to book book or how much more I need to charge in order to make this possible. So the last thing I want is to get to the end of the year and be like, Oh shoot. Like, I had so much time, but I have absolutely no money. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so, true. Yeah. But I, I guess, is there a way that, that I mean, speaking of being detail oriented uh, and maybe kind of taking the subjectivity out of this for our listeners, mm-hmm. is there a more scientific way, for lack of a better word, to, to go about making that decision? Like, are you looking for a certain percentage profit margin before you begin outsourcing something? Is it is it that specific or how do you ultimately make that decision? Yeah. I mean, personally, I just go through, so I calculate my cost of doing business and how much I want to pay myself. And I kind of see what's left over yeah. and then decide like, okay, like, is this feasible? Like, okay, with whatever's left. And if I don't, if like what's left over is not feasible. So if my profits aren't like going to cover that, I have to decide like, okay, like, well, if I shot, you know, two more weddings this year, then would it be feasible? Yeah. Like is giving up those two Saturdays, is that worth like the money I would make to cover the cost of this? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, if if you were to shoot an additional two weddings, but then all year long, be able to avoid doing, you know, spending the hours and hours and hours editing spread out over a year, that's a massive benefit that, you know, for, for whatever it is, a six or eight hours on, on a Saturday, a couple of times that in and of itself would be well worth it. Just, just the Mm -hmm. minimizing of stress throughout the year, not to mention what you can then do with that free time, whether it's for your business or your relationships or otherwise. So that totally makes sense. And I like, and again, I like the more logical specific approach that you just shared for everybody listening in. If you're ever curious about, okay, when do I make that 
that transition to outsourcing, whatever it is, editing, album design, admin work, web design, et cetera, that, that recipe that Victoria just shared is really great. And uh, Haley will even, we'll even ask Haley to put that in the show notes for everybody, just as kind of a basic recipe about how to decide when to outsource and how to go about that. I think, I think what you just shared is extremely practical, Victoria, and I love that. The other thing that you mentioned, though, um, in addition to getting to a place where you can afford to outsource a particular thing, you also said you wait till you get to a place where it's systematized enough. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm a big fan of systems. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think of the best example to give you. So I do think like, at least when I started out, it was kind of, you know, there are so many photographers, you can speak wisdom into your business, but they all have different ways of doing things. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, uh, getting a couple's blog up, like that's something that my couples expect from me. And the faster you get it up, like the more excited that they are about it. So like my system used to be, you know, shoot a wedding on a Saturday, call everything on Sunday, edit the blog photos on Monday, write the blog on Tuesday, get it up on Wednesday. And that's still the basics of my system. But because I do it the same way every time now, I mean, I can have my editor help with editing of the photos. So that's like saving me some time. And so my goal for this next year is not to work on Sundays anymore. But once you have like your own process in place, and you do it the same way every time, you can teach it to somebody else. Yep. So like this year, I'll have an intern coming on, which I'm super excited about. It's like, a, you know, I feel like that's the first step before you really start hiring employees. It's like, let's have an intern and we'll figure this out for real. Um, <laughs> but because things are systematized and she can jump in and she can do bits and pieces of things because she can see exactly how I did it before. So that's really great. And then like anything you can automate too is also amazing. So like I use Iris Works as my client management system. I don't know how people don't operate with client management systems that the thought of that really stresses me out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, so like, Anything you can automate, I definitely recommend automating it. And then anything that you can put into a system for yourself, then you can absolutely teach it to somebody else. But I I like it. I'm taking notes here, actually, as you're talking. And I wrote down, (laughs) do it the same way every time. If if you have actually developed a workflow that is repeatable, Mm -hmm. then that is a a, a great point at which, I mean, we're talking about this idea of systematizing something. If, If it can be repeated, consistently and it gets the job done, then essentially you have a system. And at Mm -hmm. that point, it's a lot easier to communicate to someone else what you want done. And as sole proprietors, and I know this from experience, in fact, it's still a learning curve, despite the fact that I have a team at Photographers Edit. Um, It's learning how to effectively communicate what's in my head to somebody else in a way that Mm -hmm. resonates with them. Just because it makes sense to us doesn't mean to necessarily make sense to them. Um, that that can be a bit of a challenge, but especially oh, yeah. if you don't already have an established workflow in place. Because let's just take editing for example. You talk to a lot of photographers; their their way of going about editing is a bit haphazard in nature, right? It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and sometimes I try this, and the other time I throw this preset on, and then mm-hmm. I do this thing, and it's <laughs> and and it's fun. D- d- don't get me wrong; I've I've done plenty of the same thing, but that is really, really difficult to communicate mm-hmm. to a third party who can't read your mind. And so if you are able to develop a workflow, which you repeat consistently for yourself, that's a great point at which you can then pass that on to somebody else. And understanding the significance of communicating that that workflow clearly will make a big, big difference in outsourcing, whatever it is, editing, album design, email management, et cetera. 
Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. So this is, I mean, these are great topics that we've touched on so far, but I want to keep moving too, because we've got a lot to cover. Let's talk about books uh, or podcasts, if you'd like self-help book or business book. I know you already mentioned building a story brand by Donald Miller. Is there, is there one besides that, that sticks out to you? That's made a really big impact in your life the last few years. Oh yeah. I love that you asked this question and the fact that you were like, tell me about one. I was like, oh shoot. Okay. Really got to like narrow this down. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I have a long list of books I love. However, I did just read Super Fans by Pat Flynn and I was very pleasantly surprised and impressed. Really? Um, But yeah, the whole, the, the whole premise of the book is, you know, developing not just followers, but fans and serving them really well. I think a lot of times within our industry, people are so quick to think of the monetary value of things. They just forget to think about the service side of things and that connection that it's really important to develop with both your clients and your potential clients. So I thought, yeah, Pat Flynn did a really great job of breaking that down. And I mean, he's such a big name in the marketing world. It was cool to see exactly how he went about doing that. And that book is called One More Time? Super Fans by Pat. Flynn. Okay. All right. Very cool. Oh, I don't, you know, actually you may be the first person to bring that book up here on the podcast, which is surprising. Yes. Well, they always have such great recommendations on your podcast. I'm like, I got to think of something that like. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. It's something different. That's great. Yeah. So we're going to put that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com for anybody listening in, or of course you can look at the show notes in your podcast app. By the way, I have to mention this, Victoria, I don't know if, if you've seen this yet or not, but we've actually created what we're calling the Boca bookshelf and, and shout out to Haley for no. putting this together. Um, and actually, if you go to bocabookshelf.com, you can see this as well. But um, it's basically a collection of the, the favorite book mentions here on the podcast. If those of you listening in are looking for book recommendations on particular topics as well, categorized into particular topics, go just go to bocabookshelf.com. Or if you go to Boca Podcast and scroll down the page, you'll find a link there as well. But take advantage of that. But we'll put this book super fans in the show notes and uh, kind of add it to the collection. Maybe Victoria, I appreciate you sharing oh, that with us. Goodness. Yeah. That, that collection is going to be very dangerous for me. My husband might be very upset with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope, I hope it's a helpful resource and, yes. and we do have, we've mixed in, it's not just business books, but um, some other, I guess you could, you could label them self-help books that mm-hmm. will hopefully be helpful to everybody out there. But uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Let's talk about your camera bag though. And this is a really fun question. What is something besides a camera body your lens that makes a big difference in your ability as a photographer, maybe an unusual item even. Does something come to mind? (laughs) Yes. So I was a little embarrassed because this kind of came to mind like instantly, but deodorant, I can't tell you how many times on like a wedding day, the bride realizes like in the middle of portraits that she forgot to put deodorant on. <laughs> okay. So this is not for you then. This is for the bride. Yeah. Not for me. And I, <laughs> if somebody uses it, I change it out, but <laughs> nice. Good call. <laughs> but yeah, so it just hangs out in there. And <laughs> that's really funny. You know, I shot weddings for over 10 years and I don't know. I mean, granted my business partner was usually with the bride, but I, I don't know if yeah. I ever heard of the bride being with that deodorant, that, that, but I can imagine that's probably pretty po- commonplace. Yeah, it is. And it might just be, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe the girls didn't want to tell you, maybe they didn't think you could help. (laughs) True. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Okay. Well, that's a good one. And I think that's a first as well. You know, I think we need to also make a a collection of these so-called unusual items on, on the podcast site. Cause really some of the stuff that we've gotten has been really fun actually, but deodorant, that's definitely a first. (laughs) 
Um, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. But let's actually let's jump into the the primary topic today for today. And I mentioned earlier this is a, a little bit of a nerdy topic for everybody listening in. But I say that tongue in cheek because ultimately it's it's actually a really important part of what we are trying to do as business owners, which is ultimately to market. We want to get new clients. And search engine optimization, I'm honestly surprised. Just, you know, the way that technology changes so fast and we jump from one thing to the next as being that thing that you're supposed to be doing in your marketing efforts as a photographer. Google SEO, its significance has not gone away and in some ways maybe is continuing to increase. And part of that, I guess, I don't know, SEO in and of itself can be a a really loaded topic. Did you have a good introduction to this topic or was this something that was initially like when you first heard it, was it totally overwhelming to you? What was that experience like? Yeah. So I started working with SEO back in 2012. And I think that like once you understand it, like as it as it transforms, as Google starts to look for different things, it's not like you have to relearn everything, if that makes sense. Okay. So yeah, once you get the basic understanding, it all just starts to flow together. But yeah, my background is in marketing and it's largely in content development, web copy development. And then as a result, you just kind of had to learn SEO. That's just where the marketing industry was. Like, ah. And so it was just something that I had to like add to my bag of skills. And so in my marketing career, my job was to like write copy for websites, write copy for blogs and downloads and videos, but then not just write the copy to make sure it was interesting, but to write the copy and make sure that it was easy to be easy to find online. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so like when I worked in an agency, it's like we would have different businesses on and you know, like we might have a financial advisor. It's okay, like we need to make sure that his website gets to page one when people are searching for, you know, whatever he wants to be found for. Um, so yeah, I worked in marketing and then I started, uh, I had second shot for somebody else on the weekends, which was really great and like a nice creative outlet. And yeah, I do love second shooting. It's so nice to be able to like show up, be creative and not edit anything. I um, know but that's- it really is. So f- <laughs> and I genuinely love just carrying somebody's bag and just being there with them. I think like years of being the, the really responsible one, like the, all yeah. the pressure's on me. <laughs> The idea now of just going with a friend and, and carrying their bag and maybe grabbing a couple pictures here and there and, and helping, you know, arrange the bride's dress or whatever it might be. Like, I, I just love that. It's so much fun. Yeah. Like, especially when you're an extrovert, like a wedding day with no stress, it's like the best day ever. Oh, it's awesome. It's so much fun. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But anyways, when I started, when I went out on my own, like I had photography sort of as a side hustle for a while, but I sort of instantly knew like when you're in the marketing industry, like I need to have a website. And I'm like, I might as well, you know, just optimize it for myself, just like I do for everybody else. And so I really do think that SEO, like having a website that shows up as one of the first websites to appear when you search for wedding photographers in Lafayette, Indiana, is why I was able to leave my full-time job and become a full-time photographer. Now, I tell people all the time, like, I'm a good photographer, don't get me wrong, but I'm not like the best photographer. And I really think that because I know how to market my business and like, treat my clients well, mm. and my, because my website shows up well, like I'm able to do what I love full-time. Interesting. Okay. Well, so you seem to kind of have a grasp of this concept of SEO, but would you say that there was any point at which there was a weakness, like a a weak link, if you will, um, in your ability with SEO? What was your earliest website's biggest weakness? Yeah. So I would say like my own personal, my personal website's biggest weakness was it was slow. Like Google does want websites that load quickly. I Hmm. mean, 
So that's a big part of it. And just because, you know, web design is, again, I know enough to get myself in trouble, but I don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of web design. So like, that's why templates and things are great because they're going to make sure it's all right before you screw it up. But my website was slow. And so that was the biggest thing. Yeah. And what is the, you know, I I have this saved as a bookmark, but I want to look it up as we're talking here because I've got the, this, this page on Google saved that essentially does a quick analysis of your website. Is it called Google tools? Do you remember offhand? Let me just. Yep. So there's Google tools and you can also check the speed of your website. If you go to Google search console, it will tell you too. You know what? And actually, I think that's what I was actually thinking of. Um, and, and shout out yet again to Haley who manages this stuff for me, but <laughs> yeah, search, Google search console, I think is actually what I was thinking about. So for everybody listening in, if you just go to search.google.com and you know, actually we'll, we'll just link to this, this full URL in the show notes at bookapodcast.com. It's search.google.com slash search dash console and then about, and you get to that page, there's a little start now button and um, you can actually go in and look at the performance of your site. But I'm actually, I'm still thinking about another. I'll keep looking as we're talking here. But nonetheless, the the speed of your website, in fact, we actually realized this uh, recently and have kind of <laughs> on an ongoing basis as we work with our development team, we have so, our, our site at Photographer's Edit is so image rich um, mm-hmm. that if those images aren't prepped correctly, it can really slow down the load load time and uh, as as you were pointing out, can kind of throw a flag when it comes to the Google system. And so making sure that your website is actually loading quickly is really, really important. Was there something in particular that you did to, to help encourage the speed of your website? Yeah, absolutely. So Blogstomp is a tool that I'm forever, forever grateful for because okay. I blog every wedding, blog every engagement session. And so it's just a really quick way to resize your images and Uh, to make sure it looks nice too. So if you blog your sessions, which again, I would argue everybody should, um, Blogstomp is really great for that. And then depending on your website builder, there are other plugins and widgets you can install that automatically optimize your images, optimize your content to make things load a little bit quicker. So for instance, I use WordPress and I have a plugin called WP Smush It. And so that goes through my website about every 24 hours and just make sure if there's any extra data hanging out, like it's smushing it essentially um, to make things go a little bit faster. But if you are a WordPress user, which I mean, if you're a show user, you also have a WordPress blog. I would recommend WP Smush It or Imagify is another really great option. And it's a little more affordable. Oh, but those are great resources. We'll we'll put those in the show notes as well at bocapodcast.com. And and while you were talking, I also found the site that I was thinking of. Haley was probably saying it out loud as she's editing this, but um, (laughs) it's actually just called Google's PageSpeed Insights. And so we'll link to this in the show notes. For those of you listening, if you just Google PageSpeed Insights, you'll also find it. But then you can literally type in, like right now I'm going to type in photographersedit.com, click analyze, and it very quickly works. And then what it's going to do is show me um, potential issues, you know, where, where the site's good, but then also where it is lacking. And this is a really great, at least introductory effort at making sure that if nothing else, at least your, your website is loading quickly enough, but it gives you an incredible amount of data that I'm not going to read all over the air right this second, but it's, it's pretty impressive. So Make sure you check it out for those of you listening in. Go to uh, Google PageSpeed Insights, and then we'll link to these other resources that Victoria mentioned as well. Um, 
one of the most important components to search engine optimization, at least as I understand it from you, Victoria, mm-hmm. is long tail keywords. Probably most of our listeners, if not everybody, they, they know, they're familiar at least with the basic concept of SEO, but long tail keywords are probably going to be like, uh, what? Um, so yeah. I, I would love for you to just kind of give an introductory definition, if you will, to a long tail keyword and how that relates to SEO. Yeah, absolutely. So before I talk about long tail keywords, can I just kind of define keywords in case anybody's not yeah, sure on those? Yeah, please. So awesome. Okay, so Moz, which they specialize in SEO. Not that anybody's going to be really obsessed with their website like I am. Um, <laughs> oh, it's actually a pretty great website. We'll link to it oh, in the yeah. show notes as well. I've got their little plugin um, on Google set up. And you know what's really funny, actually? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have Victoria on the show. I'm going to check out her site on Moz. So yeah. I actually, I jumped over to your website and, and there's a little plugin. Again, we'll link to this in the mm-hmm. show notes for anybody that's curious, but you can actually look at any website and get, yes. a, get a feel for how they're managing SEO with their little plugin. It's pretty cool. Uh, yes, I love that thing. So yeah, you, you'll nerd out with me. I'm not used to like, you know, talking to somebody else who's like, yeah, let's talk about this. And- <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, my husband's like, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. So keywords are ideas and topics that define what your content is about. So in terms of SEO, they're the words and phrases that searches are entering into search engines. So that's kind of a basic definition of keywords. Now, back in the day, it's like the 1990s, which we know like when websites were starting to become more popular, Google and other search engines, you know, like Ask Jeeves, because we had more than just Google back then. Um, Shout out to Ask Jeeves. Yeah, that's so funny. Most people probably wouldn't be familiar with that right now. (laughs) Oh, God, now my age is showing. But anyway, we're going to move on. Um, (laughs) But like, yeah, back in the 90s, um, website developers would pretty much just cover web pages and keywords because that's how Google used to rank websites. So they would kind of hide them in there, but Google, you know, is kind of all knowing and oh so smart. And they eventually realized this isn't the right way to do it. So now Google looks at web pages to see which content is going to be the most helpful and keywords to simply help Google understand what content is going to be on a page. Hmm. When you yes. say what, what content's going to be most helpful, what do you mean? How, how are they able to analyze that? Yeah. So Google is like looking. So if somebody goes and they search some, for something on Google, you know, like let's say you're looking for a new dentist, like dentist in Chattanooga, they're going to be, Google's going to scan pages and look at both the content on the page, like just looking through words, looking through all the metadata that's available. And they're going, Google wants to give you the most helpful information possible. So as a result, what you're what shows up, Google is trying to rank in order the web pages and websites that are going to be most helpful to your search. Hmm, okay. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And okay. I, I would assume that part of that's determined too on the amount of clinks or clicks. I, I put clicks and links together there. The clicks that certain links or URLs on your site get. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So yeah, I mean, we could talk like for hours about all the things that go into SEO, but yeah, the more traction your website or a certain page gets, the more Google is going to say like, oh, hey, like that must be like a really relevant article or that must have really helpful content and information. And right. as a result, they're going to make sure that your website or that specific web page ranks higher. Okay, cool. So then take us from that to uh, keywords. We're talking about just generally what keywords are. What mm-hmm. specifically is a long tail keyword? Yes. Okay. So you have two different kinds of keywords. 
you have head keywords and long tail keywords. So head keywords are like really broad keywords. So like for instance, wedding photographer, like a wedding photographer's head keywords might include wedding photographer, photographer, wedding photos, and like other broad words that you might describe a wedding photographer's services. But then a long tail keyword on the other hand is going to be more specific. So long tail keywords really mirror how people search. So for instance, you know, again, we'll go back to our dentist example. Like if you're looking for a new dentist, you're not just going to the internet and searching dentist, like because so many results would show up, like you need a dentist near you. So you're going to search, you know, dentist near in or near Chattanooga, Tennessee. And yeah, this is just more specific. So as a result, you're going to see things that are actually going to be helpful to you. So long tail keywords are keywords that mirror what your ideal clients are searching. So for instance, like I'm a wedding photographer in Lafayette, Indiana. So it makes a lot of sense for my long tail keywords to be wedding photographer in Lafayette, Indiana. Um, And this is just going, like by using long tail keywords, you're going to be able to increase your Google rankings for searches that actually matter. So for instance, if you search just wedding photographer, about 40 million entries show up right now. (laughs) Just a little bit of competition. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Which is insane. So, you know, even like a world renowned wedding photographer is probably never going to rank within the first nine or 10 entries that Google's going to show up, like going to appear on page one. So in order to be competitive and use search engines to your advantage, you want to use a long tail keyword like wedding photographer in Lafayette, Indiana. And then like, for instance, when you search that, you know, only 220,000 results show up and that still sounds like a lot. However, that's 99.95% less than the 40 million that you were battling before. Okay. So it, it's specificity at the end of the day, if yes. we were to sum up the significance of it, it's, it's specificity because you're right. Yeah. If, if I search something, it is going to, um, it is well, certainly something like photography. It's going to likely be location specific, mm-hmm. maybe some word connoting what style, uh, that photographer might be, but they're going to be specific words that I'm going to use. And, and, and how do you go about, um, actually, before I ask that question, what's the primary benefit? You've kind of already alluded to this at this point, but what's the primary benefit of that long tail keyword? Yeah, so it is definitely getting your work in front of your ideal customers. Like, no matter what your area of service is and whether you're a photographer or a dentist, you can't serve everybody. Like, There's going to be some kind of limiting factor, whether it is your location or they're looking for a specific service. Like, So your goal at the end of the day is just to get your website in front of the customers you're meant to serve and not the whole world. Yeah. So it acts almost like a filter, right? Yes. And so like, like HubSpot says that like when you use long tail keywords, you're like taking the path of least resistance basically, because you're more likely to put your website in front of your target audience. Hmm. Okay. So then how do you go about actually identifying long tail keywords? Cause I, I, I think just from having used Google tools, so much over the over the years they at least help you with basic keywords do they help you with long tail keywords as well they do to an extent so i love google's adwords tool because it gives you all the data you need it has slowly but surely you know the point is using it for google adwords like that's the point um (laughs) so it's kind of a free tool that the rest of us just take advantage of. But yeah, it does give you some examples of long tail keywords, but there are other tools out there and then you can definitely use some common sense. So yeah, if you're okay with that, I guess I'd love to walk you through that process. Yeah, if you don't mind, um, because like as I alluded to earlier, I'm a little bit clueless when it comes to this stuff. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have Haley on my team helping 
me with our brands uh, when it comes to these types of things. But especially for our listeners, many of them probably don't have experience, especially the kind of experience that oh, you yeah. do in marketing. So it would be, be great to have kind of a, a hands-on, uh, I guess, tutorial, if you will, uh, of how to go about implementing this. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to walk you through that process before I do. Is it okay if I give you like the five rules to identifying strategic long-tail keywords? Oh yeah, please. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, so before we get into the nitty gritty, there are a few things I think people should know. Um, so the first thing is you need to have a long-tail keyword for every page of your website and every blog post. So it's not like you just come up with one and you're good to go. So yeah, don't panic. I know it sounds a little overwhelming, but we'll walk through that more in just a minute. Okay. And then every web page and blog post on your website needs to have a different long-tail keyword. So if you know on your homepage, your long tail keyword is wedding photographer in Lafayette, Indiana, like you need to use something different on your blog page. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit too. But yeah, if you use the same long tail keyword on multiple pages, Google will essentially punish you by ranking your website lower. Yeah, I guess that's one thing to kind of throw in. Like SEO as a whole, SEO as a whole is just kind of like making the powers that be at Google happy. So you're just abiding by the rules. Interesting. Yeah. Or they punish you. <laughs> <laughs> or they punish you. Yes. It's not nice, but that's how it works. <laughs> so a different long tail keyword for every page on your site. I'm, I'm again, yeah. I'm taking notes here. So I'm writing down that first one. All right. What's the next one? <laughs> um, the third thing is that your long tail keyword needs to be relevant that the page you're using it on. So again, if your keyword isn't relevant, search engines will see this and your search engine rankings will likely be affected. So for instance, if you shoot weddings and families, but you want to improve your wedding rankings, your um, long tail keyword on your family page should not be you know, like best wedding photographer in Indiana. So that has absolutely nothing to do with the family photos that you're displaying on that page. Okay. That, that makes sense. All right. So that was, yes. the, that was the third one. What's the fourth one? And then the fourth one is long tail keywords have four or more words. You can occasionally get away with three words, but I really encourage people to aim for at least four words just because you're kind of guaranteeing that you're being specific enough. And again, like most searches on Google are going to be really specific and about at least 70% of the searches on Google are four or more words. So you're, again, you're just catering to Google and you're trying to mirror searches as best as you can so you can be specific. Yeah. And, and if, if I can, I'm, I've got Moz actually pulled up here on your site. And just as an example, you said Victoria Rayburn photography photograph, Niall and Haley Seward's Lower Atrium wedding in Lafayette, Indiana. Is that yes. kind of an example of how to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about um, blog posts before we get off here. But sure, sure, yeah. sure. So like that blog, for instance, it is optimized for Laura Atrium Wedding in Lafayette, Indiana, or whatever the exact words were. But yeah, it's optimized for that venue because that might be something that people are searching for. You know, if you if a couple is thinking about having their wedding there, then they're going to want to check out the venue, look at photos online. You know, if they run across my photos or my blog posts, they can get a better idea of what that venue looks like. And in the meantime, they might fall in love with my photos and decide to contact me. Okay. So four or more words for every long tail keyword. And then what is the fifth concept that we need to keep in mind? Yes. And then the last one, which sounds super bizarre, but I promise you're going to see more results this way. Um, but your long tail keyword should have between one to 100 searches per month. And you can get this data through Google AdWords. It'll tell you exactly how many people are searching for your long tail keyword. Now, this sounds funny because, you know, if you search wedding photographer, you know, a billion people search that per month. Okay, that's a bit dramatic, but a lot of people search that every month. Yeah. And so as a result, people think that like, oh, I should have my website rank for something that's searched really often. 
But again, it's really hard to rank for those words. And you know, if somebody is getting married in a small town in Nevada, chances are like, I'm not the wedding photographer for them anyway. So I don't need them to find my website. Right. Yeah. I mean, the specificity yep. is just, it's always yep. so, so important when it comes to marketing. Cause there, you know, we talk about this a lot, especially with regards to brand position. There's so much noise. There are so many mm-hmm. photographers out there. We, we need to be specific. We need to be specialists in order to filter out irrelevant clients. So yeah, that's, a, that's a really great reminder. Okay. So we've got these five principles driving keywords and what do we, what do we do next? Absolutely. So the first step super easy. Um, I would encourage you to create a spreadsheet so that you can keep track of your long tail keywords and which long tail keyword goes with which page or blog post. So just create a spreadsheet with three columns, one to list your web pages, one to list each page's coinciding long tail keywords, and then another to list each keyword's average monthly searches. This is just a really easy place to record your data. And then once you have that put together, then you're going to want to start thinking about your ideal client's search intents and then just use common sense and online tools to brainstorm a list of possible long tail keywords. So common sense can get you a long way to be entirely honest. Like if I'm a wedding photographer in Lafayette, Indiana, I know if I were looking for a wedding photographer, that's what I would search. So I would just encourage you go ahead and start making a list, just a bullet point list of anything and everything you can think of that your ideal client might search in while they're looking for you. And if you get stuck, like ask a friend, ask, you know, ask a former client you really like, like, Hey, like if you were Googling, looking for a photographer, like what would you search? So once you have your list of common sense work, like common sense, long tail keywords ready to go, I would encourage you to go ahead and start looking at some free keyword tools too, just to get some more long tail keyword ideas. And this is going to kind of make more sense in a minute, but I just think it's a lot easier to reverse engineer this than to like go through page by page, trying to figure out what your long tail keyword is going to be. But yeah, Google AdWords keyword planner, that is a really great resource to come up with more long tail keywords. And then there are a couple other free options out there. So if you just Google the keyword tool, This tool is really great because it's free and will give you really specific long tail keyword examples. So I highly recommend that a lot. And then another time that's called what again? It's just called the keyword tool. I know really original, but (laughs) (laughs) if you Google it, it'll be the first one that shows up. All right. Perfect. (laughs) And then another section I would encourage people to look for long tail keywords is actually the related searches section of Google. So, you know, if you Google something and then you scroll down to the bottom of the page, there's a related searches section that show similar things that have been searched by what Google thinks might also be relevant to you. And so that's also a really great place to find long tail keywords. And when you were talking earlier about tracking the, the searches associated with these keywords that you come up with, are you using Google analytics for that or what tool are you using? Yes. That's actually exactly what I want to talk about next. Um, So I'm using Google AdWords Keyword Planner to check the average number of searches per month for each long tail keyword. So after you kind of have your common sense list together, I would encourage people to go through and see what the average monthly searches are. So again, yeah, if you just Google um, Google AdWords Keyword Planner and then like go up to the menu option, you'll see it'll open up in AdWords and then you'll see the Keyword Planner option. But you can just type in each long tail keyword and then to and the column to the right, it's going to show you the average monthly searches. So again, you want to really aim for long tail keywords that have one to 100 searches per month, because that's just helping you make sure that you're being really specific. 
specific but relevant too, right? I mean, the reason yes, you want exactly. to use something that has that many searches is that you're you're using keywords that people are actually looking for. Exactly, exactly. Now, one thing like just to kind of be aware of is when you're using Google AdWords Keyword Planner, sometimes Google, as, you know, as much as they know, which is sometimes crazy to think about, sometimes they won't have the specific data. It won't say like, if nobody is looking for that, it's going to tell you like, nobody's looking for that. It'll say zero. But if they don't have the data for it, it will just say unknown. So if that comes up, like don't panic because you can just use common sense to figure out, are people searching for this? Because again, you're going to run into, you know, Lafayette, Indiana is not a huge city, but it's not like people are getting married here every single day, if that makes sense. So sure. Google might just not have the information. And if that's the case, don't panic. Just use some common sense and decide if that's going to be something that's searched or not. Or you can also just perform the search in Google yourself and see what shows up. If you see like competitors popping up or other relevant information, um, then you can just assume that's a good place to be. Now, have you seen where you've used these keywords that you said are kind of based on common sense and you've actually gotten results from them? Because my, I have a kind of an apprehension of doing something kind of like we were talking about earlier, based just simply on tuition. If there's a lot of data available right there, why would you not just use keywords that actually have search results? Yeah, absolutely. So again, it kind of just depends on your location and what you want, what you want to pop up for. So again, sometimes Google just doesn't have, they just don't have the information. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't really know how else to put that. No, that, that makes sense. Um, okay. Especially if it's not, if it's not, I guess, widely searched. Yeah. Maybe they just, they're not actually pushing that data out, oh, but I was yeah. just kind of so curious. For instance, like, okay, let's go back to like the LAR atrium. Like you've kind of saw that blog pop up on Moz. That like Google, for instance, if you go to search, if you go to Google AdWords and put wedding at the LAR atrium in Lafayette, Indiana, yeah. it's going to tell you unknown right? because such a small number of people are searching for that. Like literally only brides and grooms who are thinking about having their wedding there are searching for that. Right. And so Google is not going to have that data. That does that sense. make sense? That does make okay. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. So now we've, we've got, not only have we done this, the, the work, the research, the homework, if you will, to find out what keywords to use, mm-hmm. we've got our spreadsheet. We're beginning to put all of these keywords together. Are you relying on your, website designer or your developer to plug these into your site? Are you doing that yourself? How are you actually going about using these? Yeah. So I personally like, I mean, and I have kind of a funny background because my background is in copy development. So I don't really trust anybody else to do it for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> but after you have identified all the relevant long tail keywords that you're thinking you might want to include in your website, you're going to want to go through the list you've made of all the web pages you have and start matching them up. So, you know, my homepage, for instance, the long tail keyword is wedding photographer in Lafayette, Indiana. So you're going to go through page by page and identify long tail keywords that are strategic and then they make sense. And then once you have that list put together, then it's time to actually start plugging them in places. As far as the actual tool to plug those in, you mentioned earlier, I think you mentioned Show It. Are you using Show It to to do this where you can just very quickly go in and, and plug those keywords in yourself? Yes. So I personally, I'm all on WordPress, um, but yeah, every website builder is going to have some kind of option for you. So like on WordPress, for instance, I downloaded the SEO Yoast plugin. Uh And if you have show it, you're also going to want to install that because again, your blog is through WordPress, but like whether you're using Squarespace or Wix, there is usually somewhere already built in for you to enter your SEO information. And if there's not, it's usually just a matter of installing a plugin or a widget. 
Yeah, I mean, it really is. Again, the the fact that we have the opportunity to run businesses in 2020 now with this technology that really makes it easy for us to get this kind of work done, even if we don't have a developer to to hand that over to, I think it's really great. Okay. Yoast is definitely a, a pretty well-known plugin. It's something that we've used, uh, still use actually, as well. Yeah. So uh, definitely easy to plug that into WordPress. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a really loaded topic. Um, and, and one that probably many people could kind of get overwhelmed with as they're listening to all these steps, and the moving pieces and parts, especially if they're not familiar with some of the terminology. But I, I know that you have uh, a PDF that outlines this, this whole process in quite a bit of detail that might make mm-hmm. it even easier for our listeners to follow along with. Is that something that they can find on your website? How do they go about getting to that? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this is actually really funny. This is the first time I've ever explained SEO without having visuals. So this was an interesting challenge, I gotta say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, I do have a download on my website. And Nathan, if it's okay, I can give you a link to put that in the show notes. For sure. Um, but yeah, if you go to victoriarayburnphotography.com, there is a tab for photographers. And it lists a long, quite a long list of resources and downloads, but there is specifically a long tail keyword guide for photographers where you can download step-by-step instructions. So that guide will walk you through how to identify long tail keywords, but then also how to use long tail keywords. Because once you have them identified, you're going to want to include them in your copy and in your metadata and then in your photos. So identifying your long tail keyword, that's kind of just part of it. You actually have to use them. So that guide will walk you through exactly how to do that with some image examples and step-by-step instructions. Perfect. This is huge. Uh, I mean, talk about a massive value add for our listeners and for the industry at large. You know, really, my primary goal with the Boca Podcast is to add value to our industry, and it's thanks to wonderful people like yourself that were able to do that. This has been a, a pretty significant value add. You know, again, for those of you listening in, if you're not familiar with this concept, now you know. Now you know at least the basics, um, or at least know what direction to go. If nothing else, you can go download this PDF and, and get started because that visual reference can definitely make a big, big difference. But I really appreciate you sharing all this knowledge with our listeners, Victoria. We you just remind our listeners, once again, your website, but then also your social media too, where they can find you there? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at victoriarayburnphotography.com. I'm on Facebook as Victoria Rayburn Photography, and I'm on Instagram as Victoria L as in Lacey Rayburn. So at Victoria L Rayburn. Perfect. And, and we'll link to all this in the show notes. Uh, I really appreciate everybody listening in. Thanks for joining the Boca podcast. If you ever have suggestions, ideas, feedback, or otherwise, just shoot me an email, Nathan at photographersedit.com. And uh, speaking of photographersedit.com, this episode was brought to you by Photographers Edit, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Thanks again, Victoria. Thanks for having me, Nathan.